the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting, for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Everybody and welcome to episode seven of the Fairy Podcast. I'm Fiona Marr, and I'm Dan Baines. And this week we've been um, discussing our very, very favourite film. But first off, Dan, it was quite interesting the way this whole interview came about, wasn't it? It was. If listeners go back to the last show, episode number six, they'll know that we played a little excerpt from a film called The Fairy Faith uh, by John Walker, where we played the clip about the guy who experienced his shadow being rolled up by two fairies on top of a mountain. Well, first, me and Fiona were a bit apprehensive of maybe putting the clip on there because of copyright. We ummed and ahed about it, but then we actually saw, we actually discussed it and thought, well, why don't we just actually get in contact with John Walker himself and see if we can get permission to play that clip on the show? And it, in a strange twist of fate again, actually went further than just getting permission to get the show, didn't it, Fiona? Yes, I, I actually said, can we interview you? And what was so lovely was John um, listened to our podcast and decided because we're absolutely serious about the whole subject of fairies, he would indeed grant us the interview, which is just absolutely wonderful. So the film is The Fairy Faith. It's by John Walker. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube and it's also available as a DVD to keep. And that's available at johnwalkerproductions.com. Yep. And it's a it's an excellent interview. So listen along and enjoy. Welcome, John Walker. We're absolutely thrilled to be interviewing you here. Uh, John Walker is an amazing Canadian filmmaker. He's had over 60 awards and nominations for his documentaries. And John, you've made films about Stalin. You've made films about um Orphan Japanese children in China after World War Two. You made films about coal mining, the search for the fabled Northwest Passage, Quebec, a film about um, um, Jewish children being hidden uh, around about World War Two. And in the midst of all these incredibly worthy, serious documentaries, we have the fairy faith. Now, that to me is stunning. It's amazing that that you've made it. But if somebody like like either I or Dan were to make it, nobody would be surprised. But for you, you know, quote unquote, serious filmmaker, it's extraordinary. So how did you come to make a film on this subject? Yeah, it's a good, good question. Um, a lot of the films that you mentioned, I, I had dealt with a lot of uh, tragedies. Yeah. And particularly in the 20th century. So I was sort of weary of tragedies. And I, I remember thinking about 
uh, you know, how did Shakespeare survive his, his all his tragedies? And and you know, he he balanced his work with tragedies, histories, and comedies. In the comedies, you know, he, he did deal with fairies. But I was really looking for a, a shift away from uh, from from dealing with tragedy because it wears on you. And uh, and and I was so I was going into my roots in terms of a lot of my films. Uh, have deep roots in my, uh, you know, childhood or in my upbringing and so on, and so this subject came came to me in connection to my my daughter, uh, who was uh, in grade one, and my grandmother, who had a belief in uh, myth and imagination, and and uh, imbued me with a sense of of wonder through uh, the fairy lore and fairy stories, uh, taking me through the landscapes of of England and Scotland uh, when I was 13. And she caught me at that very, very uh, significant age of 13 when you're going into so-called manhood and you're you're leaving that realm of the imagination, that childhood is, uh, you know, is so wonderful that, that uh, so I was concerned about the, the issue of why do we lose our imaginations and, and, and our sense of wonder as we become adults. The, the the word that kept the, the the statement that kept sort of uh, coming to me was oh that's just your imagination that's just your imagination we sort of in our rational world you know we, we put down the imagination to something uh, something odd and strange and not not worthy of our of our attention and uh, my grandmother taught me uh, that uh, that the imagination is in fact one of the key aspects of the human experience and uh, and so I wanted to make a film that dealt with myth and imagination. Well we're so glad you did and coming on from this subject of um, this sort of coming of age of the time when you, you're on the threshold between believing and not believing how did you you mention the fairy flag of Dunvegan which I will go into later on after this interview to explain what that is to our listeners but when you, you, you went back again, you said the fairy flag had lost its magic for you when you went back to Dunvegan Castle. Do you think that was part of it? And how did you feel for the loss? Yes, um, it, it was interesting because when I was taken to see the fairy flag by my grandmother, you know, I was 13. And, uh, and, and you know, she was she was taking me to to these magical places in the landscape, the fairy pools and different places that, that really opening up my imagination. And so, you know, her holding my hand and telling me the story of, uh, of, of the fairy flag, and you know, it just was magical. And um, I think going back as an adult, you know, I was not able to relive that experience the way I had experienced it when I was 13. And so there was that disappointment and, and a sense of, of uh, wanting to to bring that imagination back. I wanted to bring that experience back of, of what it's like. It's almost a childlike experience of, of, of imagination and wonder, sense of wonder. And, and so through the process of making the film, uh, that was one of the early sequences in the film, going to see the flag, because that was uh, something I wanted to do. But it was a slow process of actually bringing this 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 realm back and bringing the imagination and, and this experience of belief back for me. So it was it was a journey. Do you think if you'd gone to see it 
after you had kind of largely made the film, you would have had a different experience? Possibly, yes, that's right. Yes, I saw it early on in the the process when I was still struggling with my rational, uh, you know, belief system. Uh, Yes, I think that's probably true. It's a, it's a hauntingly beautiful film. I mean, Dan and I, we've both watched it many times. Um, but did anyone say anything maybe off camera that you wish had been included? Or, or perhaps was there someone you'd like to have had in the film, but they refused to speak on camera? No, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just trying to think. It was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, I hesitate to ask that. It's such a seasoned documentary maker as yourself because I'm, I'm pretty sure you've caught, captured everything yes, you needed I mean, at the time, it, you know. It's a matter of, I mean, there, there, there were, uh, you know, the one gentleman on the, on the hill uh, was very reluctant to tell the story. Um, he's he's uh, the chap with the shadow. Yes. Yeah, and, well, he, he is the chap we had in our last we had played that clip in our last podcast, and that particularly caught Dan's ma- imagination, didn't it, Dan? It did, yes. I mean, obviously, he was a quite broad Glaswegian chap, and he was not the sort of your typical fairy experiencer, you know, no. as is portrayed in the documentary. He's a, no. you know, a just run-of-the-mill chap who happened to have a very otherworldly experience and yeah. you know in the past i've also interviewed people who come from very varied backgrounds like for example like the armed forces and because i'm ex-armed forces they feel they can actually give me the story with some form of trust exactly i mean his his reluctance i mean he had agreed initially because uh, i i'm very clear on uh when i speak to people about what my intention of the film is you know and uh and i you know i i let him know that he was in good company in the film and, and mentioned some of the, you know, scholars and, and uh, people in science and so on, uh, Fox and so on, uh, that he's in good company and that this was not something that was, you know, we're taking the subject seriously. And then, uh, you know, that he was reluctant. He was trying to pull back. He was he was uh, worried about the, the lads at the pub laughing at him, as you mentioned, the early podcast. And, and, and it is a touchy subject, you know, when, when, when I was releasing the film, you know, doing radio interviews and so on. So, oh, do you believe in fairies? You know, and people can have that, that attitude of, oh, this is silliness. And so I, I always love the quote of the um, the woman when when uh, Yates, uh, uh, William Yates was doing his research on the fairy lore for his book. And uh, he was t- talking to an elderly woman in West Ireland. And he said, well, do you believe in fairies? And she says, well, well of course, I don't believe in them, but they're there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did a trip to Galway in December and I, I had a lot of that as well. Yes. So I absolutely get what you're so, Yeah, so the thing is you don't want to admit to uh to your belief uh because particularly these days, but they're you know, they're there and uh, it is funny how people who have their own beliefs you know, you jump. You've mentioned fairy faith or anything to do with fairies, and they jump on it like it's a joke. Yeah. But they don't tep- take a step back and look at how implausible the beliefs in their own religions are um, yeah. before they start picking faults in other people's beliefs. Yes, in some cultures, particularly Ireland and Scotland too, that they they prefer the little people. 
who, who might yes. refer to as the little people, and, and and some say you shouldn't use the word very. You know, you should absolutely. Yeah, that's it's dangerous. True. It's a dangerous word to use. The little people is something a better better. And term. and it, that came over very very strongly in your documentary that the Irish view of fairies is of them as very dangerous capricious creatures which is yeah. my father was a Kilkenny man and so I was brought up oh, yeah. with belief that you've got to be careful with the fairies because yeah. they're quite tricksy but Dan you you wanted to ask something to do with the way fairies have affected both you and art yeah I was wondering during the course of making your documentary obviously as a documentary maker you know there must be quite difficult things to produce there's obviously things that are going to pop up and hinder your progress when making a documentary but uh, me and um, Fiona have found that when we're working in the field of fairies, i.e. like writing or art, things tend to go our way ridiculously easy, like getting interviews and just finding a pathway to doing what we want to achieve is rather easy. And it's almost as if if we go against the grain, like try to do something else or deviate away from doing something that's not to do with fairies, things become incredibly difficult and things start to fall apart and the plans don't tend to hold together. So when you were making the fairy faith out of all the other documentaries you've made did you find that it was one of the easier documentaries to make and you were kind of pursuing a path or going down a path which was actually being sort of paved for you as you went along the way or did you find it more difficult than any of the other documentaries you've produced yeah yes that's an interesting question it's a good question yes i would say it was uh one of the smoothest and easiest you know journeys uh <laughs> Some films, some films are like that. Uh, I wouldn't say this is the only film like that. Some films are either extremely difficult and everything seems to be in in your way, and others are clicking. Uh, this definitely was clicking, and um, I, but it it does happen that you know you're in a zone in which. Uh, it, it is a kind of a faith. I mean, I think making a documentary, in in a sense, is a faith in uh, in the in the journey that you're on, and things start happening. And and it's it's a very much it's important. Your intention is important in the making of a, of anything, uh, you know, writing or or as you as you know, or making a film. And it's the intention of how do you enter into this. Uh, so-called fairy realm. You know, I think your intentions are very, very important. And if your intentions are on, as it were, um, I think things run smoothly. Um, but if you, your intentions are off, then, then you might run into some troubles because I'm sure the fairies were there to to to, uh, to dissuade you from any, any wrong moves, you know. But it, yeah, it was a fascinating journey. And, uh, you know, I wasn't setting out just to add... Um, to this terms of the journey, it wasn't setting out to prove that fairies existed. That isn't wasn't my intention in terms of making the film. Uh, it was a journey into this, as I say, realm of the imagination. And and what I was interested in doing is is, uh, is stimulating the imagination. Particularly, I was interested in stimulating imagination imagination of uh, you know sort of uh, middle aged uh, males. Uh, rational in the end with the film i had that that group coming to me and, and saying after the screening said you know my wife dragged me into this screening and i didn't i thought this is just going to be silly but she says you really you really had me <laughs> you really had up my imagination so i think that that is the value of this of this uh, realm is that uh, 
it's it opens up one's imagination. And when you open up the imagination, anything is possible. Um, how did you feel when you realised there were fairy beings in your own country? Because the way you end the film, I think, is wonderful. Yes. Um, and, I, and, and are you still aware of them around you, these energies? Yes. Well, it, it's interesting. Uh, during my research, they say, oh, you're, when you get involved with the fairies, you're, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're away with the fairies for seven years. <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard that, but uh, have you heard that? Uh, yeah, yeah, seven years. It's I think it's a universal period of fairy vacation. Always takes seven years, as far as I've, I've heard. Yeah, yeah, and and so I think I was I was into that, stuck into that world, and for seven years, and I I, I felt almost felt a need to sort of slowly withdraw uh, in in on some level because it can really preoccupy. Preoccupy you in a way, and um, you know I've had lots of very interesting uh, experiences and encounters. So yes, it's it's sort of like it just you you want to be careful not to get lost (laughs) in this world. You know, I had one scary experience where I was I was being led down the garden path, as it were, and uh, I had to really pull myself out. I thought I was going to uh, you know (laughs) enter and not come back. Yeah, it's it's a fascinating world. Brilliant. Would you be willing to elaborate further on that story or one of the stories of your experiences at all? Yes, yes, I, I could. I, I was. Um, I'm. I'm living in the uh, half the year. We're out on an island and out in the off the Atlantic in Nova Scotia. Anyway, I was going on a walk uh, in the woods uh, alone, and I had uh, pulled up my boat on the shore, on the beach. I was just going for a short, short walk, and I started walking through through the woods, I started to hear this this music, this beautiful music, and I, I was drawn towards it. I said, where is this coming from? And I was walking through the woods, and as I was walking, listening to this music, everything started to feel otherworldly. You know, everything started taking on this, almost like I had taken some kind of a drug. And I was, I kept searching and, and, and hearing these sounds, and then I, I sort of realized it, I, I, I got, I don't know if I was frightened, but I, I was concerned. And I felt that I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being drawn in here, you know. And so there was a certain concern that, that I was going to be drawn into a, a depth in which I didn't, I might not recover. And, and so I sort of pulled myself back. And what pulled me back was, I said, oh, the boat is on the shore. And the tide could come up, and I could, you know, lose the boat and be, you know, be stuck here. So the, the rational mind took over, and uh, and I was, uh, you know, went back to the boat. And and that that process was was one that was going on throughout the making of the film. Um, you know, allowing the imagination to take over, and your rational mind coming in and saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute! You know, <laughs> be careful." Uh, so it, it's it's that constant play between the rational and uh, irrational, or however you want to describe it. And uh, so it, it, that was interesting. But that that was very much the the um, uh, the world. Whereas a child would not be worried about uh, you know, and and the, the rational just doesn't come into the picture for a child. But uh, as an adult, of course, you, you uh, and my and my grandmother was very clear when I was thirteen, getting back to her. Her uh, influence on me is that when I was 13, she said, you know, stand on, on your right foot 
and I stand in your right for you. Said, you know, there's there's a there's a world, a very rational world, in which you you have to do your homework and you have to you know, ultimately make a living and and do your work and live in this rational world. I said, now stand in your on your left foot. And she said, but, there, but there's an old, <clears throat> a whole other uh, realm of the imagination and myth, and uh, and that world exists as well. And uh, so there, she made it very clear to me that there is this duality one lives with, and uh, and so yeah, yeah. I mean, it could have been that prior knowledge that actually saved you that day. I think she saved me. I think it's important to have a balance. Is what I'm saying. I think it, there there might be a danger to to go too far into one uh, or the other. You know, <laughs> definitely keeping the balance. It, it's yeah. It reminds me of of the guy on the hill with his shadow. Um, Steve, yeah. Steve. Yeah, he no. was saying that he'd always wanted to find another encounter, yes. and I thought that was something quite wistful about that. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, I I can imagine him still striding the hills, hoping that he's yeah. going to encounter fairies again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would, would you Would you ever make another uh, type of that documentary about myth again? Possibly, yes. I mean, I wouldn't make the same film, but um, no, of course not. But, but myths are important. You know, myths are very central, of course, to to our, our whole consciousness and uh, you know, Western civilization. So on. I don't think I answered your question though. Just going back, and I don't know if you, if you want to go into that, but you did ask me about the local fairies here. Yeah. Interestingly, when I came back, uh, you know, from wandering in Scotland and Ireland and and uh, and Devon and so on, and particularly in Scotland. Ireland, where you, you where you feel these uh, these very knolls and very places, you know, you start to have a a sense sensibility. And I was traveling up to Cape Breton to film with a with a police chief who actually opens the film because I had met him years ago, and he he uh, big burly fellow that opens the film and, and he has you know belief and experiences of of, of fairies and uh, second sight as well is another uh, aspect of, of this realm. And um, on my way to, to, to visit him to do the, and I, I uh, saw this, it looked like a fairy hill. And I was intrigued because there was a, uh, a Christian cross put on the top of it. And I, that often happens with with these sacred sites, and the, you know, the Christianization of, of sacred sites. And so I, I, I was curious. And then and ended up. Uh, it was on uh, a First Nation, the Mi'kmaq um, First Nation uh, peoples of, of Nova Scotia, and I went in talking to them and about this realm. And I, I very slowly got around to the subject of the film that I was making, and I was just curious about this this hill and was it. And uh, and they said, "Oh, you're talking about the Woodlatamush, the Woodlatamush." That's the, the enigma word, the woodland rouge, and they started talking about, you know, the little people, and uh, so this is something that I was not not at all aware of, and uh, so I ended up uh, bringing this sequence into the end of the film about the uh, First Nation aspect, and it, and then it, it it made sense because I mean I'm a settler in Canada, but I was going back to my own roots, my own heritage of Irish and Scottish heritage of uh, indigenous I mean we were indigenous to Scotland and Ireland and 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 there's fairy lore you know and mythology within within that tradition pre-christian fairy lore and so that it made sense that here uh, that indigenous uh, you know cultures here would have a similar mythology and similar things so it was, it was quite interesting to me and uh, and then of course 
you know, all, most cultures, uh, Inuit and uh, in the north, I've experienced that. And uh, of course, in India and all over the world, the indigenous cultures have, have this mythology. So it's an interesting connection that this is not something that's unique to Ireland or Scotland or the UK or, you know, to certain cultures. It's it's a quite a universal way of, of, of looking at life and, and, uh, and experiencing the imagination and human experience. I was going to say, we, we've actually spoken about this in previous podcasts, about how across the world it seems to be there are fairies absolutely everywhere by different names yeah. they seem pretty much the same description don't they Dan? They do yeah in the documentary it struck me how very similar especially the story about the mother with her children down by the lake when they heard the music coming and they looked over in the woods and they saw these almost like semi-transparent four foot high beings all dancing in yeah. a circle and spinning around yeah. and you know that dancing in a circle and spinning around is evident in fairy folklore throughout pretty much the whole of the northern hemisphere and it's just strange yeah. how you have these distinct similarities but thousands yeah. of miles apart it means it, yeah. for me it actually just proves the fact that there is something we've not been able to explain well, that's right. I mean, and and that's that's the key that that we just have to we have to, you know, you you have a science background, and and you know there are just some things that you can't not explain, and you know when people ask me, well, do you believe in fairies? I say, well, I believe in the imagination, and if you can tell me where the imagination comes from, then you will know where the fairies come from. <laughs> That's really good. Um, also, I mean, it's another thing we've touched on in other shows. Um, we, we have a, a theory that UFOs and um, abduction and stories yeah. of lost time are oh, simply so. fairies uh, kind of dressed up to appeal to the very middle-aged man you were trying to appeal to in your film. I just wondered what your thoughts were on, on that idea that there's a connection. Yeah. Yes, well, I, I, I did I did re- reference that in the film. Yeah. Uh, a short, short sequence that you know the alien, and and I think I I got this from uh, from Fox. He's written books on the paranormal, anyway, because um, he's coming to it from a science perspective. But yes, that that it because we are uh, historically, uh, culturally, our connection to the land was much stronger, and of course with First Nation peoples, it's still very strong connection to to the to the, to the land and, and to nature uh, where where these beings dwell whereas as we've become more alienated and with technology and so on in the into the 20th century 20 and 21st century we don't have the belief that these creatures could come from the land from nature they must come from outer space and that so that there's this whole overlay of our description of this of these experiences as an, an out of uh, uh, you know, out of space experience as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, out of nature. And so I think that that could be the theory that Fox was talking about. It's, it's due to our alienation from nature that we think that these beings must come from outer space as opposed to coming from not being surrounding us in nature. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it because there are similar experiences and similar descriptions and so on. So that's, I found that fascinating. And, well, I was going to ask you, do you believe in fairies? But I think you've pretty much answered that, haven't you, really? Yes. And and when, when someone, it depends who's asking you that question. You know, if you're being asked by by a cynic on a radio station or something that, oh, do you believe in fairies? Ha, ha, ha. You know, you're, you're, they don't know what fairies are. You know, they don't know where, where the mm-hmm. realm is. So, so I think that, I think that, that woman's, 
uh, that Irish woman who said, of course, I don't believe in fairies, but they're there, uh, is, is the best best answer. Because, uh, you know, if, 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 you, if you say, I believe in fairies to someone who, who just thinks this is all fanciful nonsense, then, then you're, you're, you're kind of buying into that, uh, uh, that nonsense in a way. Anyway, you, one has to be careful with that. Uh, absolutely yeah and i can't think of anyone better to have made the film with your background with because you literally were doing your standing on your right foot standing on your left foot um you know you you've got the perfect background with your grandmother with your celtic roots and then you're such an accomplished documentary maker it was like it was almost like the fairies chose you as being the absolute perfect person to represent them and i like the fact that you're not actually trying to anything you are just presenting pieces of evidence and you're allowing your audience to make up their own mind exactly yeah and 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 that's generally my approach is that that i'm i'm not in my films i i like to think that i have a beginning and a middle but no end and i let the audience you know decide and, and make their own decisions about what we've been looking at i don't like to put things in a neat package you know and a much more interesting way of looking at things but uh, but thank you for your I, i'm i really appreciate your um, your appreciation of the film and uh, it was certainly a very special film to me for me in the the journey that I was making and certainly my grandmother was with me uh, you know guiding me along uh, in the making of the film and that was very special that's wonderful I think she'd have been very proud of it as well we're very proud of you well thank you thanks again for taking the time out of you know your day to, to talk to us at the Perry podcast yeah, my pleasure. I, mean, I, you know, I listened to some of your podcasts. So I, I knew you were coming from a, a serious place, and uh, I, I appreciated what your, you know, your podcast and your approach to this uh, subject. So uh, I, I wouldn't talk to just anybody about this subject, but I, I appreciate what you, uh, what you're both doing. So, congratulations to you for uh, keeping this alive. Thank you so much, John. It's been brilliant talking to you. Listening to the Fairy Podcast. Hi, and welcome back. And this has been a whole show devoted to the rather wonderful film, The Fairy Faith by John Walker, uh, a Canadian filmmaker. And in it, uh, he mentions, and also in the interview, we mentioned the fairy flag of Dunvegan. And for those of you who don't know, Dunvegan Castle is on the island of Skye and it belongs to the clan MacLeod. Now they one of their great great treasures is this ancient piece of silk you can still actually go obviously post lockdown you can still go to the castle and have a look at this and um, the le- I grew up with this legend I was told as a very very small child and it seems that one of the chiefs uh, fell in love with a beautiful lady and then found out she was fairy folk uh, and you know, thankfully, she'd fallen in love with him, too. And she decided to ask her father if they could actually get married. And her fairy father said, well, OK, but after a year and a day, you've got to come home. So they spent this fantastic year and a day together. She bore him a son. And then came the day she had to go home to, to the land of the fae, to the land of the fairies. And she was heartbroken. And so was the chieftain. And as she was parting, she said, "Uh, just one thing, you must not let our little son cry. 
So he, he through his tears, the chieftain agreed to the promise and he was terribly, terribly depressed. She went away and uh, his court decided to cheer him up by throwing a huge, huge banquet and a sort of general sort of, you know, an evening entertainment, the usual thing. And uh, it was so much fun. There was so much noise that the nursemaid who was looking after the baby crept away and was listening to what was going on and sort of, I, sh- I can imagine her peering down and seeing what was going on in the great hall. Anyway, she came back, uh, the baby started crying while she was away and it was crying for a full 10 minutes. And when she came back, there was this strange woman bending over his cradle and she was wrapping him in this beautiful silk shawl. Uh, the nurse saw this woman, gasped, the woman dropped the baby in the crib and vanished. And as soon as the little boy was old enough to speak, he said it was his mother who had visited and the shawl was in fact a fairy flag. And in time of great need, the MacLeods could wave this flag. They could use it three times, but on the fourth time, it would vanish. So uh, the then uh, chieftain uh, had a casket made to keep it in, to keep it safe. And hundreds of years later, the um, Clan MacDonald were actually harassing the MacLeods on their Isle of Skye. And uh, they they uh, had a load of them trapped in a church, which they, they barred the doors and they set the place on fire. And that killed a lot of MacLeods. And then there was this small desperate band on the beach. And what they did was they, they in their final throws, they just thought, we've got nothing else. We'll just wave this flag. And suddenly, as if by magic, their numbers appeared really multiplied they easily overcame the clan macdonald um slaughtered them and the whole the whole clan was saved um and then a few hundred years later the cattle were dying of this very strange plague and the macleods were facing starvation so in absolute desperation they waved the flag again and down rode the fairy horde and they cured the entire herd so that saved them now it has never been waved for the third time and it's now on display behind uh, a sheet of glass at Dunvegan Castle on the Isle of Skye. But it turns out that many people descended from the MacLeods during World War II. Soldiers would carry photographs of the flag in their pockets, in their wallets, to, to keep them safe. And uh, the current chieftain, apparently in the 50s, he was fighting in, uh, in Kenya and um, there was a big Mamao uprising and he carried a photograph of the flag in his wallet to keep him safe. And he's convinced it did. I was going to say, it's almost like a, it's a story that Mike Mignola would have, could have used in a Hellboy story. You know, the fairy flag and the, you know, the World War II connection. It's just, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful story. And it just makes you wonder how many other fairy artifacts there are out there similar to the, to the flag. Um maybe we could look into for other shows yeah i th- i was going to say that that would make a great show finding fairy artifacts you know and like i say it's it's just there you can go and see it so post lockdown please do obviously if you can't go and see it it is featured in john walker's documentary the fairy faith and you do actually see it so i'm sure if you googled an image of it as well but as he says in the documentary it's quite drab and uninspiring when you see it it is a, a fragment of cloth hanging in a frame it's yeah it's faded silk it's been darned it's been patched it's got holes in it you can see where it's been folded over the centuries it would possibly have been green at one time uh, and now it's a kind of a dull sort of muddy ochre color 
Um, but I think the saddest thing of all is that John didn't go and see it after he'd made his film because I think he'd have got a lot more out of it then, you know. And I hope he manages to make it back to Dunvegan Castle again because I think he'd have a whole different outlook on it now. Yeah, that superstition as well of the soldiers carrying the flag, um, a photograph of the flag into battle, always reminds me of the story of um, Mad Jack Churchill. Um, have you heard of him before? Yes, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, uh, for the for <laughs> listeners who don't know who he is, he was actually an, uh, an army officer who fought alongside um, two commando and three commando brigade as well as the the highland light infantry and uh, on the beach landings he actually carried a longbow and a broadsword to the the accompaniment of bagpipes and i think one of it one of his quotes was an officer who goes into action without his sword is improperly dressed and there is an image of him jumping off a a landing craft with a sword in one hand and a long bow in the other and a quiver of arrows, whereas everyone else is carrying machine guns and grenades. <laughs> and uh, there is a story that he actually did the whole assault using his sword and his longbow and uh, he supposedly shot well, a German he, motorcyclist off his bike didn't he with a, with a longbow or something he certainly he certainly got captured and because of the name Churchill he was incredibly well treated whereas he was no actual relative of Winston Churchill at all he no. just happened to have the same name you know so maybe way way back in his history he was related but certainly nothing that he was aware of but he certainly earned the title Mad Jack you know for, for these antics you know incredible yeah. but there you go and um and the whole i mean the whole idea of soldiers carrying this talisman you know i, I just think that's incredibly moving i think it's a great story again it's the, the it sums up the fairy faith i mean you know you don't really imagine hardened battle-worn veterans and soldiers carrying the photograph of a fairy flag into battle with them unless there is a very strong belief in the potential you know the magic that's instilled in that that artifact indeed and if it's saved if it saved your people twice already you know why wouldn't it save you had an encounter with the wee folk you can't explain we'd love to hear about your experiences send your tales to stories at the fairypodcast.com Hello and welcome back to the Fairy Podcast and that brings us to the end of yet another fantastic show. I think the uh, the John Walker interview was one of my favourite highlights of the the series so far. Don't you agree, Fiona? Absolutely. Uh, The film itself is just amazing but being able to talk to him and he's got such a lovely take on it, you know, the whole fairy realm Uh, and, and that's down to his Scottish grandmother as far as I can see as much as anything else. It is. I mean, the whole the whole point about it's just your imagination that really it is, it is so true that you know people just fob everything off as oh it's just your imagination but what is your imagination you know what Absolutely. does it create yeah. where does it come from it opens up a whole new area of investigation especially in well any paranormal subject really because you could attribute anything down to your imagination ufos ghosts fairies you know, people will always pin the imagination tag onto it in in an order in order just to dismiss it when it probably is something greater than that yeah it's another way of seeing i mean hearkening back to the um 
um, interview I did with Pat Noon, the guy, the Irish farmer from Galway with his fairy field. He, he, we were talking and he was saying fairies appear to you. However, you know, the size you are. So when you're children, they'll be tiny. And as you grow, they grow with you, which I thought was a really interesting way. And he basically said, you know, you'll see what you pretty much what you expect to see, which I thought was incredible. And I think that's one one important thing to also note is that people who work in the arts generally retain their imagination. If you're a writer or an artist or a filmmaker, you actually rely on your imagination in your job. And it tends to be the more creative type people who have a connection with or an experience with something that could be thought of as fairies. That's interesting. Yeah, because I mean, is that is that because we use alpha waves more? You know, um, our brain pattern is slightly different. You know, they speak about the right-handed brain, left-handed brain. Now, I do know that has been discredited, but to some degree, I'm talking about sort of um, the meditative state in which you create things because you do need a bit of peace and quiet and to be on your own to do this, these sort of activities. Um, so you'd have John Walker, long hours, the editing room, you long hours in your workshop and myself long hours hunched over my computer. So, yes, yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I think that's definitely got something to do with it. Yeah, the imagination another is way the key. Of, yeah, another way of seeing, yep. yeah. It's always helped me in the past in my previous jobs, especially in forensics, having an imagination because a lot of people didn't have the ability to listen to something and sort of transport their mind to the scene because if you're dealing with audio forensics you just you know you're just listening to something that's happening on a recording but you have to visualize what's happening there as well to actually gain some idea of what was occurring at that location you know be it a 999 call or a, a covert recording and I always found that having the ability of a good imagination allowed me to look at various different scenarios and generally I was able to nail it um, where other people had listened to it several times and just hadn't got a clue what was happening. Well, what, it's very interesting. It's it's shackling an artistic mind to a scientific one. When I was little, I remember my science teacher saying to my mother, because I did science very young, she said that, that I, was, I was doing well simply because I could imagine what was happening during various chemical reactions, sort of almost at a molecular level. And I think that, well, it's Einstein said uh, how important imagination is. And, you know, you look at people who are scientific, but also artistic, Da Vinci, they're all the greats. You know, I'm not putting us in that kind of <laughs> bracket. But what I'm saying is no, the two together, well, why not? Yeah, <laughs> the two together are an amazing tool, really, really useful. And, um, and I think that art enhances the science and science enhances the art, you know, so there you go yeah and i think i mean talking about the fact that you know i come from a more scientific background and a more skeptical background and you know john's documentary had a lot of first-hand encounters with fairies and you know as you say you know there's a lot of people out there who probably have had these experiences but just through the fear of ridicule will never want to tell anybody not even a close member of the family but if there is anyone listening who has a story or a tale that they're too afraid to tell um, for, through fear of ridicule, then they can actually contact us and we'll listen to it with, you know, a sympathetic ear and 
we promise not to tell anybody. Well, we can put it on the show, but we'll also give you an alias. So it'll be your account, but you'll re- remain anonymous for the uh, for the actual purpose of the show. It's always great to have these stories because you know there are so many out there that I don't think are being told. Yeah, it's a bit like um, iron filings being drawn to a magnet. Once somebody says uh, or tells a story, other people will say, oh, yes, maybe, you know, that explains what happened to me. And it could well be something they haven't put down to being a fairy encounter at all. Um, some strange occurrences, it isn't always obvious who or what the culprit is culprit being kind of not quite the right word but the um agent of change let's say and so for the original sort of person who's told the story even if we put them under an alias i'm sure it'd be very comforting to find out well actually it's not just you this is happening all the time across the world as well and speaking of that we've got a new announcement haven't we dan about something we're putting on the show the next one yeah, I think um, from the next episode, we're going to start in a new section. Um, I get fairy news in my inbox every day. And amongst the the fairy doors stories or the scathing Artemis Fowl reviews, there is always something good to discuss regarding fairies. Um, you know, we did notice a while back a correlation between the amount of accidental deaths at places that had the word fairy in the name, which you know yeah. we should look into and go over, you know, fairy pools there's a lot of drownings fairy caves um fairy woods fairy bridges all these places tend to have an element of bad luck or murder or death um, associated with them so that'd be an interesting thing to look at but at the moment yeah the my news section at the moment is just full of really bad artemis fowl reviews so are you we ever familiar with the artemis fowl books fiona no i've heard of them i haven't read them i'll be honest the books are fantastic you know, I've been reading them for years to my kids, and then uh, Disney got hold of it, and oh dear. yeah, it went straight to straight to the Disney Channel, so it bypassed the actual cinema. It was actually directed by Kenneth Branagh, so you would have thought it would have been okay, had Judy Dench in it, but it was just absolutely diabolical. And the sad thing is about Disney is is that you know I often denigrate the whole organisation for the Disneyfication of fairies, but actually he was a member. Walt Disney was a member of the Fairy Investigation Society. Right. So it's it's almost like he's leading everybody up the garden path with his fairies, mm. um, when all along he kind of knew the stuff that we're looking into, yeah. which I think is fascinating, really interesting. Artemis Fowl. One one word review. Terrible. Yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, so I've got the same news feed coming to my inbox and uh, you know, it's pinging all the time. I mean, through the night. So you know somewhere on the planet someone's always talking about fairies. There are, yeah. It's all the time. You know, these these things just appear and there's always something good to discuss. It's like panning for gold, really, but there's always a little nugget there in the bottom that uh, we can, uh, we'll be able to get a good sort of 10, 15 minutes conversation out of, I think. Excellent. Well, that's all going to be in episode eight, isn't it? It is, yeah. Which should be out very soon because we seem to be on a bit of a roll at the moment. Yeah, and we've got more guests hopefully lined up. Oh, yes, 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 I meant to say that. We've got John Hyatt coming along to talk about Rossendale Fairies, which was uh, a fascinating story. Uh, John and I have become friends over the whole thing, a bit like you and I, Dan. Yeah. Um, and episode 
eight, though, is going to be mainly about fairy rings, I understand. Inspired by John's film as well, the idea that these um, you know fairies dance in rings, well, no matter where the scene, they always seem to be sort of quite jovial and dancing in circles. It kind of gave me the idea of maybe we should base a show on fairy rings, but not just fairy rings, but everything in folklore that incorporates a circle. Uh, which tends to be linked to fairies anyway. So, you know, we're going to look into Neolithic stone circles, uh, fairy mushroom rings, crop circles, anything that we can attribute or relate to fairy circles. And the word of the week is galley traps, which is the lovely name for a fairy ring. Ah. So there you are. So Very good. So I think what we'll do is I will tie the show up now and uh, we will see you again very soon. See you soon. Bye. Subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube.